can ask you to greet your neighbor who's sitting next to you, not physically, but a hello. It's good to see you. It is so good to, to be with you in the house of the Lord. Connection is one of the, the biggest things that we are missing and, and people are needing and craving right now. And, and that is part of what God gives. That's part of why God says, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Because there is something that happens in the koinonia of fellowship and connection. Seeing one another and, and saying we can partner together uh, for the kingdom of God and to support one another in the things that our world is going through. And, and, and so... Today also, happy Valentine's Day. We are celebrating Valentine's Day, and, and we said happy Valentine's at the beginning. Uh, and I want to remind you that we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, and he gives us the enabling. He gives us the love when we don't feel like loving uh, to love. Uh, because he, he gave us that strength. And, and Jesus coming, him, him coming, it's like a priming of the pump, as it were, uh, while during worship and, and earlier, and also Siswe put together the worship sense, and that sense of there's a shift, uh, the atmosphere shift, there's a shift, there's a crossing over, and... And that is what Jesus did. He came in not in response to uh, other people do it, to people doing things. He broke through, and and I believe that that is what God is is doing, and He's inviting us to partner with Him in breaking through. And I and and some of the words that I was writing down prime the pump. I, I'm. Just that strong sense of, will you allow God to prime the pump in your life? Uh, meaning, what I mean by that, there's a well, and Walter brought a word about a well of water that is, that is, coming, that is coming up and that is here. But sometimes with a well of water, you need to pour a little bit of water in the top just to top it up, as it were. And that's called priming the pump, and then the water just gushes out and comes through. And I have felt like God is saying, will you prime the pump? Will you be part of priming the pump of what he is wanting to do in our midst here? And, and it takes, it is not, and it's in your life, but it is in the life of our church as well. And we need all of us to partner and say, I'm going to I'm going to step in. I'm going to bring my energy. I'm going to bring my presence. I'm going to show up and be here. You being here at church today is priming the pump for what God is doing, for the releasing of, of His work and His, um, what He is wanting to, to do in us and through us. It's priming the pump. Another picture, we were with friends um, on Wednesday, the uh, not Wednesday, Friday, the sense of throwing a stone in the pond and the ripples that come through it. 
come out of putting, throwing a stone into a pond. But the waves don't come if the stone is not thrown into the pond. If we just leave our lives uh, just, and we leave things as they are, and he's like, will you throw the stone into the pond? Will you activate? That was another word I wrote. Will you activate? Another picture, and I'm just sharing, that we had during prayer, and on Thursday and this morning, Lungi had a picture of the widow in the Old Testament, and the prophet said to her, bring as many jars as you can bring, and God will fill, uh, and, and I will fill them up with oil. Take the oil that you've got, and, and he told her to pour that oil into the jars. And as many jars as she had was how many were filled up with oil. And, and um, there was the sense of bring as many jars as you can because the oil of God is coming. It is flowing out. And we are the jars of clay. Bring, come as a jar and allow him to fill you and use you during the week to pour out what he's got. But bring Bring your friends, encourage other people to come. And, and maybe it may not be here, maybe it's online still, but that tapping in, bring the jar, tap in to God because he, is, he has got um, something that he is wanting to pour out uh, in us and through us. And I believe um, God is working. There is a strength that is coming. Amen. I want to just remind you, as we need to do at a public meeting in terms of our protocols, uh, that thank you for all of you who are wearing masks. Uh, we remind you just to keep at a, at a distance. Um, those of you that are family, that are living together already, you sitting together, um, that is, uh, that is we, we love that. It, it makes more space. Um, for others of us. And we're registering at the table outside. Um, we had new registrations today, writing down, uh, because we haven't met for quite a while. Uh, but going forward, we'll probably have names there and it'll be quicker with you. And, and just reminding you, if you're not feeling well, even if you don't think it's COVID, please rather stay at home. Uh, and so that so that we can keep this. Our, our heart is that church be a safe place. And, and we want you to feel safe and we want others to feel safe. And we have outside uh, facilities for those who feel m safer uh, worshiping and being outside. And also our limit is 50. And so, uh, and so if we are fuller, then, then we can... We can uh, serve inside. We have outside capacity. And I'm wanting to announce this morning and tell you about something that we're really excited about. We are going to be hosting a COVID care workshop. And it is designed, this, this care workshop, we, we are designing it to help people to process the experiences that you have been experiencing or people have been experiencing in this time with COVID. 
and we're allowing, wanting to allow God to lead in this process. We're wanting to provide a space, a platform for people to connect. And, and our heart is, what we, we're sensing is that we, we're wanting to be relevant to our community, relevant to you and to our greater community in this time. And our, our feeling is that there are that there are many who are wrestling with the emotional and spiritual challenges as well as physical challenges that COVID, uh, COVID has brought and, and lockdown and etc. And we're wanting to provide a place and a platform to, to process that, to get some answers, uh, to deal with some things and to get healing. And so what we're, what we're planning is that we're wanting this to start on a Wednesday, uh, starting from the 24th of February at 6.30 p.m. And, at this, and for it to be on Zoom at this stage, we feel that that is the way that uh, can meet the most people's needs. Uh, we are looking at and considering would we be able to maybe if you battle with Zoom or battle with being online, maybe um, having a space where people where you can come here uh, potentially live and we can do both, have the Zoom and the live um, and, and so that those who, who battle with being online can participate as well. And it'll be um, we'll have a part of it that will be something uh, where they'll be teaching and then going into Zoom rooms or into smaller groups uh, with a facilitator to, to process and to pray through some of the stuff with, with guided questions that we'll be dealing with. And some of the, so it's not this coming Wednesday, it is the following Wednesday. And some of the sessions that we're looking at is what's, uh, first session, what's happening to me? What's happened to me? And looking at the emotions of it, looking at grief and loss and, 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 and just processing what have I lost? How do I deal with my loss? And it may be emotional. It may be that you've lost loved ones. Uh, the... Uh, another one is looking at the puncturing of our faith, where ha did I not have enough faith that I have got sick or that a loved one has died, um, etc. Another one is dealing with stigma. Another another session is um, is isolation and and seeking for you to be connected and to connect in. And so it'll be for six weeks. And, and the, first, um, the first one, we are going to be limited for time, I mean for space, uh, depending on how many facilitators we have. So we don't want the groups to be very large. And the first session will, uh, the first time is in a way going to be like, um, okay, it, it's a bit of a pilot. Um, we're trying it out, seeing if some things work, don't work, etc. Um, but come along, be part of the of the activating of this. And we really, really believe that this is something that God is giving us to take wider than just our church community to be able to minister and to bless people. Uh, we want to invite you, invite a friend to church. Uh, come and join us also for our live.
our live prayer on a Thursday, 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, it is also online, um, but there is just such a strength in praying live together, and, and it's very distanced. Um, it is really powerful. And I want to just conclude with us taking up our tithes and offerings. And um, this, the scripture from that, that we have from our Valentines, in our taking up our tithes and offerings, uh, the sense that from 1 John 4 verse 9, that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. And verse 19, our love is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. And when we are giving our tithes, we are just responding in love back to the one who first loved us. When we are giving our offerings, we are showing love to others because he first loved us. And, and uh, going back to what I said about priming the pump, about activating, finances are needed in extending the kingdom of God. As you give your finances, it is a priming the pump. It is a building and an extending uh, so that the work of God's kingdom uh, can be done. And so right now, if you, if you have uh, finances that you are wanting to give, we invite you just to slip up quickly and, and go and pop it into the slot in the door uh, where, the, where it will be um, gathered. There's a little box there and, and collected and counted afterwards. Or else, um, if you do EFT, you'll pay your tithes and offerings uh, through EFT and online, I just invite you to take out your phone and to do it right now with the details that are on the screen. Um, and let, let us just pray and commit these to the Lord. <laughs> Father, thank you that you gave. Thank you for the heart of generosity that you gave. And God, you didn't just give as uh, of what you have left over, but you gave your first and your best. You sowed your son because of what you saw coming, because you saw our hearts, you saw our lives being saved through you giving Jesus. And so, Lord God, we give our finances right now because we see what you are bringing, what you are doing. We see the lives being changed that we don't know yet, that are not yet part of this church family. Those that are online, that are in a place that they can't, they're not allowed to attend physical church uh, because they'll be persecuted because of it. But those people that are, are linking in, 
Lord, I think of the people, the, the links that we saw clicked on from Russia, from our church service uh, uh, sending out. I think of those people right now, Lord. And God, we choose to give our finance so that those people can hear you and turn and know the good news of your love for them right now. Lord God, we bless you. We thank you for the privilege of giving. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I invite you to open your hearts and to uh, receive the word from my wonderful husband. Um, he preached a good sermon last night uh, online so, so that those who are not here can have church on Sunday morning online rather than uh, waiting for it to be uploaded later. Can you hear me? I'm on. Turn me. There we go. Good morning, folks. Oh, it's so wonderful to see so many happy faces. Oh, I'm telling you, you guys look like a zillion times better than looking at that camera. No matter how much I look at my camera, it never smiles back at me. And even though you got your mask on, I see your smile. So thank you for smiling at me. I really appreciate that. Wow. Um, so this morning, I want to actually follow through and follow on with what we started last week when we started looking at the serenity prayer, such a powerful prayer with such significant truth just embedded in it. And so, Lord, I commit this time to you. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that I would just bring forth what is on your heart for your people to hear this morning. Lord, I know I, I, I spoke this last night, but I pray for fresh anointing, for fresh manner. Lord, Lord, it may be the same slides, Lord, but I am just a surrendered vessel, Lord. Bring forth this word to the people here this morning as you want them to hear it. I just lay it all at your feet, Lord. We trust you for fresh anointing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so welcome to church and the message is the serenity prayer. And I put up over there the scripture we're going to go to. But before we go to the scripture, let's just look at the prayer again. And we'll put it on the slide there. So the prayer goes like this. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And I've just put on the screen there, I put three numbers. The prayer doesn't have numbers in. But there are three clear different parts to the serenity prayer. And, and we highlighted some of it last week, but just this week there's some things that just I felt the Lord emphasizing. And then I want us to go to a scripture. I mean, saying, Lord, what scripture can, can I go to that really highlights these two different aspects? And that's that Exodus scripture, which we'll go to in a moment. But firstly... If, if uh, Amu is helping us drive, if she just clicks over there. I've just highlighted those two words, to accept. In the first part, I believe that is such a key. That is the pivot. To accept, it's like, it's like the line in the sand. Because it says, God grant me the serenity to accept. That serenity, the peace, we unpacked it last week, that this, this verse promises, this prayer promises, comes at that place of acceptance. And I, and I want to say, what, what are we talking about when we say to accept? And so let's just go to the next slide because I've just put some things on there. So firstly, what does it mean to accept? It means this. I am 
I'm speaking and praying and trusting that you will accept God's will in these situations. And, and that is the place that we will find peace. That's the place I find peace, where there's something that is just, I, it's, it's, it's big, it's scary, I, I, I don't know. When I know in that situation God's will, that brings me peace. And that is the place where I am able to trust God in that situation. And, and I just want to say the journey of discovering God's will. I said last week, I remember one situation I was going through. It took me about two years in processing that to discover really God's perspective on that situation. And then immediately the peace, the serenity came. And so I'm under no illusions that this is just a quick, you know, lay hands on me quickly, boom, it's sorted. This is sometimes a journey, okay? And, and I want to say, secondly, about this place of acceptance, that it is not passivity or giving up. It is not passivity. Folks, giving up or passivity, literally, passivity is what happens wherever, wherever there's a gravestone or a tombstone. So you give up. You, I'm, I'm, and, and that is not what I'm talking about. Folks, there are incredibly difficult things we can go through. But we can, we can, and what I'm talking about is not, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about surrendering it to the Lord. That's the third point. If we just click over there. It's surrendering to the Lord. There's a huge difference to, between of just giving up and walking away and surrendering to the Lord. I get the picture of you taking that seed and literally burying it in the ground at the feet of the Lord and saying, Lord, I trust you with a seed. If you bring this seed to life, I trust you. If you don't, it's up to you. And with a farmer, you know, a farmer, my, my father-in-law was a farmer. I mean, I remember him saying how many seeds, I mean, in a, in a maize field, I mean, it's like thousands of seeds they, they plant. Not all those seeds will germinate. And you can't tell holding two little millipups which one will and which one won't. It's like God's own stuff. And so it's not throw the seed away, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, crush the seed, eat the seed. Still bury the seed and saying, God, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Sometimes we go after things, we try, and it just doesn't come to pass. We leave the seed in the ground because this is the deal, folks. You know, God can still do a miracle. Maybe, just maybe, the issue is just your timing and my timing. Hey, I'm not that good always with timing. I'm often, I can discern God's will, but often I think God's going to do it yesterday. And he's saying, but I'm the God of yesterday, today, and forever, okay? I'm, this is coming, this is like 10 years from now, and I'm like, God, but you told me yesterday, why haven't you? And he's saying, the seed's in the ground, trust me, I'm going to bring it to pass. And hey, if we honestly believe in a multi-generational God, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, hey, maybe some of those big promises you've got are something that's going to live in your spiritual sons and daughters, something you're going to impart to them. Maybe it's multi-generational, this promise God is. But can we surrender it to the Lord, leave it in the ground and say, God, it's up to you. I'm not going to eat the seed, throw away the seed, destroy the seed. I'm going to surrender it to you and say, hey, God, it's in your timing. Example time. It's Valentine's Day. And so I thought of, uh, let, let, let's, just, let's just go there. The story I heard was of a guy who was in a relationship with a girl, and it went south. They broke up. And he was really devastated about this breakup because he really thought this was the girl he was going to marry, etc. And 
He, he told the story years later because the story is they never got together again. That relationship never got back together. A couple of years later, he met another girl. They got married, and he was now happily married. And this is what he was looking at. He was looking at back at that season just after the breakup with that girlfriend and how desperately he was taking it to God and trusting God to resurrect that relationship and put it together and fix all the misunderstandings and all the, you know, the stuff that happens when there's a breakup. It's never pretty, never nice. And, and he, was, he was so broken and cut up about it. And his expectation was that God would take that girl and that would be his marriage. And, and God didn't. He put the seed in the ground. God never resurrected that seed. That relationship was never resurrected again. God took another seed, another lady, and they got married. And he's happily married to this girl. But he was just reflecting on how hard it was to surrender that thing to the Lord. Folks, I know, I've been through this, okay, not with this beautiful lady that I'm married to previously. I'm, I'm glad there's some seeds that are on the ground, in the ground, that haven't, haven't come to pass, amen? Because I've got this wonderful, wonderful seed that I'm, ah, okay, let's not go there. You know, I'm worried that this metaphor is going to go pear-shaped, and my wife is like, oh my goodness, where is he going to go with this metaphor now? Okay, okay, breathe, move on, Okay. <laughs> Okay, stop thinking. The metaphor is closed. Okay, I didn't say more. Well, let's have you thinking about, I didn't say it. Don't say the pastor said. That was your mind concluding the metaphor. Okay, let's go on. Okay, I don't do this kind of stuff. When I talk to the camera, it just comes out nicely, exactly as I planned. You guys provoke me to metaphors I never thought of saying. Okay, so, but, but the, with, with, with this, this beautiful lady sitting in front here, who have been married nearly 27 years, there was a season, nearly 28, sorry, oh goodness, losing count, you see the camera doesn't always correct me on my maths either, you know, <laughs> need a drink of water over here, <laughs> okay, okay, it's nearly 28, done 27, okay, um, so she first kind of noticed this young man at UCT, you know, uh, uh, this potential, as we, go, we, we had this, this term, cross-gender team member, okay? He noticed, she noticed this cross-gender team member, moi, before I noticed my cross-gender team member. And so, Jenny was very much, sure, Lord, I see a lot of potential over here, etc. The problem was, I didn't see the potential, and I was very much, we were friends, we were part of the same church, it was, a, it was, from my side, a healthy friendship with, like I had with a number of other, you know, pretty young ladies. But there, was, there wasn't anything from my side. And this, if you've ever been there, it's really hard when you are like, Lord, do something. How's this going to do? And he's like, you know, doesn't see anything, okay? <laughs> what did Jenny have to do? She had to surrender it to the Lord. I, she can't, and this is, the, this is an important revelation, you can't change people. And in this zone, in relationships, you really want God to do the work. And at that stage, God wasn't working in me, He was working in her. And it was really hard. Jen reflects on, it was agony, surrendering this to the Lord, but she didn't just surrender me and, you know, this potential cross-gender team member thing happening. 
she surrendered the whole aspect of getting married. And it was a, that's, that's where the Lord took her in her surrender. And she was able to say, Lord, I'm surrendering my desire to get married one day. If, if your will for my life is to serve you single for the rest of my days, that is the place that the Lord took her to. And it was amazing about a month or six weeks later. It wasn't that long, although a month and six weeks can seem like forever when you're in that place. But she said it was honestly, she totally surrendered it to the Lord. And then suddenly, the Holy Spirit grabbed me and said, look at that cross-gender team member, mate. <laughs> Open your eyes, okay? Long story. Some of you heard the story. And anyway, 27 and something years later, still going strong. So this, this, this accepting thing is, is big. And, and so, but I said, we, I want to go to the story in Exodus and I was trusting the Lord to highlight, because remember in this prayer, there are two aspects. God grant me the serenity to accept things I cannot change. What does it look like when you accept things, and I put those points over there, that's what it looks like. But on the other hand, the courage to change the things that I can. Folks, I love the second point, courage to change the things that I can. I want to go out there, I want to use my hands, I want to make a difference, I want to pursue the girl, I want to message her, I want to date her, I want to, you know, get this thing on the road. I want to, I want to do it. That place of surrender, God, speak to him, speak to her. I don't like that place. I'm being honest, I don't like the first part. That is the part mostly that God's been dealing with me. I love the action, okay? Call her, see her, invite her, whatever, date her. I'm, 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 I want to do that. This waiting, who is, who is really good with that? Okay, don't put up your hand now because you're going to destroy my illustration and my point, okay? Let me say, waiting in surrender, like, God, are you going to bring life to the seed in the ground? I don't know, is a hard place to be. But folks, it's better than destroying the seed. It's better than eating the seed because then there's no hope of life ever coming from that. But ultimately, you know, for me, it's like, God, I want your will. I know you love me with all your heart. And, and, and if, this is the thing, folks. If somebody loves you, they are for you. They are for your, they, they want the best for you. They are, they are looking out for you. They're concerned about you. If I know that God loves me, and I know this is God's will. I'm like, God, I surrender that to you. You know, folks, you know, sometimes, and many people will tell you this, you know, <laughs> being single is much better than being in a horrendous marriage. And, and many people you know and I know can confirm that. So I'm just like, God, your will. Your will. I surrender to your will. But I want to look at this Exodus story, and let's go there. So, so I'm going put this slide up. Let's just start over there. What happens in the story? So we're picking up here, let me just say in Exodus 17, this is just three chapters, folks. Three chapters from the Red Sea story. Exodus 14 is the Red Sea story where they come through the Red Sea. The street, these guys are just their first few steps through the Negev Desert. They're just getting going. Yeah, I mean, some things have happened in the last three chapters, but they're only just getting going. They have never fought a battle in their lives before. Remember when the, Israel, when the Egyptian army came on them, God undertook. They never had to pull their swords out or anything. God sorted the Egyptians out. They didn't have to fight. But this is now a different story. This literally is the first battle that this, 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 this baby nation, if I can say that, fights. And what happens in this verse, the first verse, it says, the Amalekites, this is verse 8, 
came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. So they were camped at this place, Rephidim, in the Negev Desert. And yes, this was the Amalekites' country. They're just walking through. They're going to their promised land. But this is the thing. I went to go look. Who are the Amalekites? And you will remember uh, with Saul. Remember, the Lord told Saul to go and attack the Amalekites. I'm like, why has God got this issue with the Amalekites? What's the story? Well, let's just look here. Look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy about this very thing. It's, he says in Deuteronomy 25, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Folks, who would have the stragglers been? It would have been the elderly. It would have probably been children or mothers with children or pregnant mothers or people who are sick or who are infirm, people who can't walk. And here are armed soldiers attacking those people. Folks, I mean, we see it in the news all day. Our society today still reacts when somebody who is infirm or elderly or a child is brutalized in any sort of way. Everyone in this room is horrified when somebody who's big and strong and ugly and has a weapon attacks somebody who is a straggler, who's maybe injured or old or young or pregnant or, 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 or weak. Something inside you said that's wrong. And this is why, folks, this is why, if you go hey, just study God's reaction to the Malachites, he was so outraged at what happened here to the Israelites. We don't know how many elderly, pregnant children were killed by these Amalekites, but this is what they were doing. The armed, trained men for battle were attacking the weak. And that, folks, and this is why, if you actually read the story, if you read the story, it's like, why, why has God got such a beef with these guys? They were, folks, when they were picking a fight with the Israelites, Literally, if you read the story, it's like God's taking this person. It's like you're picking a fight with me. Now, apply this to you personally. Folks, sometimes we experience attack. Folks, I want you, and, and I didn't actually, I'm just saying, you can study it yourself. God's reaction to the Amalek, Amalek he says, he basically said, guys, I'm going to take you out for this. I mean, I'm, it's my words. Go read this. Lots of scriptures about it. Folks, this is our Father's reaction when the enemy attacks you and me. We need to know that you're messing with a mama bear here who, 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 who can develop some anger issues in certain situations. And it's wonderful when those anger issues are towards your enemies. There have been times, folks, let me tell you, there have been times in my life when I've literally prayed for mercy for, in some situations for people because how they have responded to us because I'm, I'm aware not, and it's not out of arrogance, it's not out of, I'm thinking too much, because I know who I am. I know the mantle and the calling that's on my life, and I'm like, I pray for God's mercy, because, because you don't know what you're messing with here. And I'm saying, do you also realize you're a child? If you've surrendered your life to Christ, this is how He views an attack against you. You sometimes get cross when there's a, some boss who's really horrible to you, and you may get really aggro. Have you ever come to that place of saying, sure, Lord, he doesn't know what he's doing when, he's, when he talks to me like that? Because I'm a child of the king. 
I don't know what consequences he may experience in his life, but Lord, I, I actually need to pray mercy here because I have seen what God can do to the enemies of the children of God. And so I'm not, I'm not building a big theology here, and it's not my main point. I'm just saying, folks, sometimes when we experience attack, the response is not, my, I have never had any unction. You know, the disciples prayed fire from heaven. My thing is, you're messing with God here. I actually, my response is, I need to pray for mercy. And God, do not repay back to them the way they've been to us. Because, my goodness, it, could, it, it, it won't be pretty. So, this is, this is just the situation. But let's go on, verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, so this is Moses' response. He's the leader of the people. And he turns to Joshua. Very important. The first ever mention of Joshua in Scripture. And this is the picture, these two verses, verse 9 and 10. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Malachites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a staff of God in my hands, the rod of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Malachites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now remember, the word, the name Joshua is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. Joshua and Jesus, the same word in different languages. And Joshua is a type of Jesus. It literally means Savior. And if you look at the book of Joshua, God used this young man literally to bring salvation. He was the one who was out there fighting the battles. Folks, you and I have battles. Here's a story of Joshua fighting the battle and just look at the, his life story. That's what he did. Folks, that's what our Jesus is doing, okay? The Bible says he lives to intercede for us, intercede at the right hand of the Father, okay? He has 10,000 zillion angels at his disposal. And if he's fighting for us, folks, he has a couple of legions of angels we know from Scripture at his disposal. So why are you stressed when you're getting under attack knowing that your Joshua, your Jesus, is fighting for you? He's leading us, amen? A very interesting, I just want to mention this, that um, it says, verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Some of the translations just highlight that Joshua was in perfect obedience to his leader. And it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus was perfectly submitted to the Father here perfectly aligned with the Father's will. He said, I, I do what I see the Father doing. That is his will. And we see this in, in the life of Joshua, how he's submitted to his leader and perfectly just obeys him. And it says, And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Who are these three guys? Firstly, I just want to highlight, it's the older generation and the young generation working together, serving God together so perfectly in this picture. And so Moses was leading the people. His brother was Aaron, and his brother was the high priest uh, over for the nation. And who was her? Her was Moses' brother-in-law, and obviously Aaron's brother-in-law, because he was married to Miriam, and Miriam was the daughter, sorry, the sister of Moses and Aaron. And so these three guys, they same generation, they would have, they would have known each other for many years, they would have been close. Uh, these are older guys. I mean, Moses probably, um, probably, um, yeah, over 80, maybe 85 uh, in, the, in the zone over here. And so Aaron and her would have been similar. So these are, these are old guys going up on the hill, and the young guys are going down into the valley with their swords and they're fighting. So let's see what happens. Okay. 
Let me just say a little, a little background over here. That when Israel, just in my notes, when Israel faced the Amalekites in battle at Rephidium, it wasn't with overwhelming force an experienced army or the best commanders. They were a wandering tribe of herdsmen escaping slavery in Egypt, traveling uncertainly to a promised land that none of them had ever laid eyes on. Let's carry on. Next slide. They were trespassers traveling through the lands of fierce fighting peoples. Just that picture, fierce fighting peoples, but with a, as opposed to a bunch of herdsmen, a bunch of shepherds they've never fought in their lives before. It was also the first ever battle faced by these wandering herdsmen. They traveled with their women, with their children, their herds, all their possessions. The battle was for survival, for hope, and for a future. Folks, this battle was incredibly significant in the life of this nation. Their first battle, the law first mentioned. And remember, they have all their women and children. It's not just a, a group of fighting men. They, they are literally defending the lives of the weak and, and the vulnerable in their community. And so this is the background. just want to say this about Amalek. Do you know who Amalek was? Amalek was Esau's grandson. Esau's grandson. Remember Jacob and Esau? The Israelites, why are they called Israelites? Because the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel. So folks, this is their family. They're being so brutally attacked by their family. I'm telling you, and you know, the worst kind of attack is when it comes from somebody close, you know, family, whatever you define family as. It's the worst kind of attack. These Amalekites would have known that their promised land, that they were traveling through and they were going to their promised land further north. The Amalekites, that was their land. They weren't trying to invade. They, weren't trying, they were just trying to pass through quietly, you know, hush, hush, keep quiet. Don't let them know we're here. One million people. And they get attacked and provoked. Okay, now let's read on, verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Malachites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I love it over there. The Bible kind of gives the credit to Joshua and the young men. They spent all day with a sword fighting. Yes, who do we give the credit to? And I want to say, you know who wrote this book? Moses, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this book, Exodus. And Moses here, as an elderly man, is giving the credit to Joshua, he's giving the credit to the young men. But we know in the story here, they would not have won that victory if it wasn't for the old bullies on the hill holding up that, that rod, the staff of God. Who, who was responsible for the victory? Well, they were both. But I love this, that Moses is saying, give the credit to Josh. He was in the battle. He was fighting. And folks, this is the reality. We, we should reach a level of maturity where it's not about, hey, you know, did you see, guys, how I held up that staff all day long? You know? He does, it's like yeah, that happened, but Joshua overcame the Amalek Amalekites' army in the valley. I love that. It's okay to give the credit to other people. 
hey folks, the Lord saw that you were the one behind the scenes holding up the staff, praying for your Joshua, holding them up in prayer, surrendering the situation. God sees that. But just let Joshua think that he did great down in the valley, okay? Young people need to all the affirmation they can give, amen? Listen, it doesn't mean that us old guys don't need some affirmation every now and then. Amen, love? <laughs> but I want to just say this. Because a whole day, picture an 85-year-old holding his staff above his head all day long. I, I mean, I don't know if there are any 85-years-old people here, but please put up your hand right now if you think you can hold a staff above your head all day long. You've seen those movies, you know, those army movies where the guys have to jog on the spot and hold their rifle in front of them and the corporal or the sergeant is shouting in their ear and the guy's literally crying his eyes out because his arms and his shoulders are burning so much because you know how hard a rifle gets after like three minutes holding it out in your hands like this. Okay, now we have an 85-year-old having to hold his hands up. It was actually an impossible task. There's no way he could do it. And they noticed the impact in the valley. I want to say this very often, and, and, I've, and I've emphasized this scripture in the context of prayer. And the, it, in this text, in the text, it doesn't say that Moses was praying. But it's hard to believe that he wouldn't have been, okay? But it doesn't emphasize, this text doesn't emphasize that. There's this emphasis of these two generations working together. And why did I come to this scripture? We're talking about the serenity prayer, things that you've got to just surrender to God and some things you've got to do. And for me, the picture of these two generations is those two aspects of the serenity prayer. There's some things we need courage to do. And you know, five or six times, Moses literally says to Joshua, be strong and courageous and go into the land and take possession of the land. When you're out in the battle fight, you need courage, amen? And so, yes, Joshua is the hands, the sword in his hand, and his young men and the young generation are out there fighting all day long. They are doing it. But we need the Moses and the Aaron and the Hur on the hill holding up the staff, surrendering the situation to God, giving the situation to God. Folks, what is the universal symbol of surrender? It's holding up your hands. Folks, Moses and Aaron heard together, they were there saying, Lord, we give the situation to you. God, we surrender the situation. We give our young men to you, Father. Undertake for them. And I'm going to unpack. We're going to come to this revelation of what the Lord gave Moses, of what he saw. Folks, when you stand there all day crying out to God, God's going to show you some things. And we're going to come to what the Lord showed him, the revelation of God of God in that situation. We're going to come to that. But I want to also highlight here, so it's the old generation and the young generation functioning together. But this is important. Moses brought two trusted companions with him on the hill. Why? Because I'm sure that he thought there's no ways I can keep my hands up for how long this battle is going to go on. I am sure, and there's no indication that he was too proud and arrogant and said, step aside her, step aside Aaron, I can do this. I'm the man, I'm the leader, I'm the, you know, the man of the hour with all the power. No, he was probably, guys, I need your help. Man, I can't stand anymore. Get a rock. There's a nice, comfortable rock. Bring it closer here. Guys, you've got to help me here. Come on. Hold my right hand. Hold my left hand. And my question is, who are the Aaron's and her in your life? Who are the trusted men? that you've walked with, men and women, obviously it's not a gender thing, who are the men and women that you've walked with that are at your side? Folks, we are going to face situations that in our own strength, 
We cannot. Moses in his own strength at 85 could not do that. He needed help. But together, these three bullies did it, and they won the victory. Amen? I, I know, I know. And this is, the, this is what church is about. This is what church is meant to be about. Amen? That we, we find, and this is why we encourage connect groups, for example. You connect with people. You find your errands and hers. People who are like, I can't do this. Stand with me. Uh, come alongside me. Hold up my arms, folks. That is what, what is alive. We are going to face overwhelming odds at times. Many of us have hit the wall during the pandemic. And it's like, praise God for Aaron and hers around us. Amen. So let's go on. Just some in my notes just about this situation. However, these wandering herdsmen traveled with something that no other nation on earth ever had. A pillar of fire by day and a cloud of smoke by night. The very presence of God surrounded them. Israel did not fight its battles alone. No matter how inexperienced or overmatched they were, they were never the underdogs. Why do we say this? Because the very next verse says this, and it reveals just what Moses saw in that situation. In Exodus 17, verse 15, it says this, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He declared in that place, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And folks, what is this? Now, there, there, there's so many aspects to this. And, and again, I'm, I'm putting the text of Scripture. But I'm saying, what did Moses experience where all day long he's holding up his hands? And what is a banner? Okay? Let's just, uh, let me just explain. A banner often, and even today, a banner is a flag that, that the armies would use, and often the flag carrier would go in the front of the army. And on the flag would be the, the national colors of that army. Back in the day, remember, they rallied around kings. It may be a picture of a king or the name of the king or the symbol of the king on a, on a banner. But that banner, that flag that went ahead was the unifying point. It was the rallying point. It, it, it was the thing they were fighting for. And, and I mean, stories abound. I remember you may have seen in the Second World War one of those islands that the Japanese had occupied and, and the U.S. forces were going literally from island to island fighting the most incredible ba battles with incredibly high mortality rate for these tiny little islands in the Pacific uh, trying to, you know... Uh, yeah, um, you know, obviously win the war. And there's this one picture of these American soldiers where there's this tiny little hill and there are like three or four or five of them going up and trying to plant this American flag on this island to say like, ha, oh, we've conquered it, we've won. Just a picture of the significance of a banner and saying, yes, this is us, this is who we are. And so Moses is holding up his hands. And firstly, I feel like he must have felt like he was holding up the banner. He was the flagman. He was the, 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 the carrier of the banner. Now, he's holding up his staff, and we know if you just study the staff, so much supernatural stuff happened with that staff. But it wasn't about the staff, because he said, the Lord is my banner. Folks, when Moses was holding up his hands, he literally felt that the banner that was being held up was the Lord. And, and I can imagine that as he was holding up, he's looking at these fighting soldiers. 
just down there. No, they didn't. I'm sure they didn't. They weren't a fighting force who had made nice banners. They just went to go fight. And Moses literally felt like they had a banner. And the banner is, the banner is, the Lord is my banner. Nothing so insignificant. It wasn't, Moses wasn't saying, we have a banner and on the banner is the name of the Lord or a picture of the Lord or anything. He literally says, our banner is the Lord. That is, that is our banner. It is the Lord. When he's holding up his hands and it's the rallying point, it's the, it's the unifying thing, saying literally, our banner is the Lord. Jehovah Nissi. Folks, bring it home to you. Folks, this is a universal. It's one of the common names that the Hebrew nation ascribed to God. The Lord is my banner. What does he talk about? It, it literally says when you go into battle, when the enemy looks at you, what does he see right above you? Not a banner with a picture of the Lord or the name of the Lord. Literally the Lord. The banner over you and me is the Lord. How much confidence does that give you and me when we go into battle? When it's like the banner over me is the Lord. The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi. Folks, that should give us confidence whenever you go into whatever, that exam, that trial, that presentation, that offer, etc. you going in there, literally, the Lord is my banner. I don't have a banner with a nice picture. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is over me. And they, the Israelites w- would have related to that because they always had by day this pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire. The concept of God is with us. His presence is with us. It was so real. And that is what Moses sees. And he built an altar. And he said, the Lord is my banner. Let's just look at my notes. No matter how desperate they felt, they were never at a loss. They were never truly outnumbered. Because how can you outnumber God? The great general, the perfect protector, the Lord, Jehovah was with them. The name Moses used to describe this God is Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. And just I've said it, but just for the notes, um, what is a what is a banner? Banner is something that firstly identifies whose you are or who you are. Folks, somebody says, "Whose are you?" The Lord's. I'm the Lord's. Don't you just love the name that the Lord has given us as as a church, His people? Who's whose are you? We His people. We His. Okay, you want to know His name? His name's Jesus. Okay, I'm His. Jesus. Is the, is the banner that is over my life. Amen? It identifies who you are and whose you are. And secondly, unites and unifies your purpose as a group of people. Folks, we united. Folks, are we not united around the fact that we have a nice building? Or, you know, I mean, we could get united about Zinzi's amazing voice, you know? Or the fact that, you know, Einstein drives the, the sound so good. We're united about the Lord. The Lord is our uniting factor, amen? We've surrendered our lives to Jesus, amen? He's the name that we serve. He's the one we want to glorify. He's the name we want to declare. He's the name, he's the person we want people to see, come to know, uh, and, and be transformed by his power and his presence, amen? Jesus is our uniting factor. He's the banner that we unite under, amen? And whose are we? We are his. And so I want to close by putting a banner over us, Jehovah Nissi. Let's go. Oh, hang on. Sorry, there's more stuff. There we go. Okay. Forget the rest. He, Jehovah Nissi, He is our banner. He's the one we come under. And so it's this amazing picture. Remember, we did this series on the uh, awesome God discovering 
names and revelations, people got of God in these situations. And I wasn't planning to bring, I kind of stumbled upon this through the story. And I was like, I've got to highlight this. And so folks, this picture of Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, is really what I want to pray. It's the revelation I want to, I want to bring. This is what Moses got as he was holding. He was like, I'm holding up a staff, but I'm not holding up a staff. I'm holding up a banner, and this banner is the Lord. And as moment, the moment that banner is held up over the people of God, they experience victory. And I want to pray for you, and I want to, as a Moses in this house, okay, metaphorically speaking, Moses, I want to hold up the banner of Jehovah Nisi over you. And I want to say, as the banner of the Lord is held up over you, I'm praying and I'm declaring that you will experience victory in the battles that you face. Jenny prayed for miracles, amen. I'm praying for victory in whatever battles you face. So do you mind that we just stand and, and we pray and we just declare exactly what Moses declared. So Lord, Lord, just as, as the, 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 the pastor, senior pastor of this church, Lord, right now, Lord, I hold up the mantle of leadership and authority and anointing that I carry, which the staff represents, Lord. And as I hold that up, Lord, I declare more than that. I declare Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Nissi over your people. We are His people. We are your people. The banner over us is you, Lord. You are unifying rallying point, Lord. We are yours. We've sold out to you. We've surrendered our lives to you many years ago. But Lord, just as Moses had to continually hold his hands up, continually stand in, or be in a position of surrender, we say, yes, Lord, we surrender to Jehovah Nissi. Lord, may the reality of you being our banner over us be the reality for every single person. Lord, as they go into battle today, this week, I speak Jehovah Nisi over you. I speak the, the Lord is your banner. The banner over you is the Lord. Lord, may the enemies, may our enemies scatter, as the Bible says, Lord, because they see Jehovah Nisi is over us. Lord, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, day or night, Lord, your presence overshadows us, Lord. We are under the banner of the Lord. We go out, Lord, not cringing, Lord, even though we don't have experience, Father, we go into battles knowing the banner over us is the Lord. We don't have a banner with your name on. We literally have your presence over us, Lord. Your presence, your banner over us. And so, Lord, we face battles, Lord, as Joshua did, with courage, Lord. Lord, with courage in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Won't you greet somebody as you go, socially distanced and appropriately. Greet somebody and who knows, maybe you can spend some time with your Aaron and her and uh, just say, hey, how are we doing? Do we need to go up the hill? Do I need to hold up your hand? God bless you.